If you'll join me there, uh, John chapter 12, we'll begin in verse 12. Uh, and our theme this morning is the only worthy king, the only one, the only worthy king. And I'm so thankful uh, for Pastor Charlie, Pastor David James for uh, sharing God's word over these past couple weeks. And uh, just so missed being here with y'all uh, to, to worship through the word. And so uh, how many of you have made a plan uh, it's a good plan. It's an awesome plan. You've made this plan, you have this plan, and then, and then somewhere along the way, something unplanned happens, that, and that unplanned thing hijacks your plan from actually becoming a plan that you were going to do that was the original plan. Anybody? All right. Uh, anybody experiencing that with that? Anybody this morning just want to go ahead and like say, that's me. All right. I see those hands. All right. We're, we're there. Um, early on, our kids are still relatively young, but when our kids were really young, uh, obviously you get very excited about things. And so uh, Amber and I, when we were, when we too were excited about doing something like maybe over the weekend, we would tell our kids early on in the week, and we're like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And then sure enough, like some unplanned thing hijacks our plan. And then we can't do our plan. And then, of course, there is like the like all sadness, frustration and all those things. And so it took a little while, but we finally learned like uh, if we had a plan and it was going to be something fun or good, uh, we just learn, like, just don't say anything about it until, <laughs> like, the day you're going to do it. So, so we, we learned, and, and, uh, and so just passing that wisdom along for anybody else who might be helped by that. Uh, but, but our plans change, like, probably maybe multiple times this week. And one of, the, one, of the, one of the reasons why I continue to just be in awe of God is because... Like, no eternal purpose and eternal plan of His can ever be changed. Like, God is never, ever like, uh-oh. God is never like, oh no. God is never like, oh, I didn't see that happening. I didn't know that was going. Like, like He's not like wringing His hands and pacing the floor. Like, oh no, what now? Like, His eternal plans and His eternal purposes are, are, are fixed and there's no, there's no scheme of man, as the, the Word tells us, that can change it or thwart it. And, and it encourages me. And so it, 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 we even see just this plan being carried out in our text this morning as we are walking into uh, what is the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, the final week of His earthly ministry before the cross. And it's amazing, we've only been through about half of the Gospel of John, and the whole entire rest of the chapter is on the final days and hours of His earthly ministry. And so as we look at the Word, we are finding ourselves in Passover season. Um, Jesus had just a few days ago done what I, I believe is the miracle of all miracles. He raised Lazarus from the dead after being dead for four days. He did this, no doubt, in an unmistakable display of His power and of His authority and His glory. And, and, and just the night before where we're reading, He was in Bethany, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem, and He gathered in a home, and it was kind of a quiet setting, at least it seems that way, in a meal. And you have Lazarus over there who was just raised from the dead. 
uh, just a couple days ago. You got Martha, who, if you're familiar with the name Martha or have seen her in Scripture, what do you think Martha is doing? Anybody want to go for it? Martha was, she was working, man. She was a worker. That's what she does. And uh, that, that's great. Uh, and, and, but you need to balance that, that heart time with the work time. Uh, but she is, she's going for it. And, and this is something that is just an encouragement I found and maybe, maybe a blessing to you all to hear as well. But Oswald Chambers uh, said this. He said, an unguarded strength can be a double weakness. And I think that's just a powerful word because no doubt Martha's strength was go, 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 work, 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 go, 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 work, work, work. But if we're not careful, that gifting that we kind of devote and pour ourselves into could actually serve to hinder us in other areas if we're not careful. And so Martha's working away and there's Mary. Where's Mary? Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Every time we see her in Scripture, she's at the feet of Jesus, spending time with Jesus, longing to hear His words and His truth and and, and so this is the scene. And the next day, everything is going to be different. Uh, everything is going to be different because I mentioned it is Passover season in Jerusalem. And Passover was one of the three major festivals for Jews. Uh, this was the festival that, that if you were a Jew, you were actually required to be there. Every Jew wanted to be there. Not everybody could make it. But it was the, the great Passover feast that, that Jews have celebrated for centuries. And they trace it back, and just real briefly, to the great miracle of the Old Testament. And the great miracle of the Old Testament was that the people of God were enslaved under the tyranny of Egypt. And so God heard the cries of His people, and He gave them specific instructions. And so their instructions were to do this, go and find a lamb without a spot or without a blemish. And you're going to sacrifice that lamb that's without spot or without blemish. And you're going to take the blood of the sacrificed lamb. And you're going to take that blood and you're going to paint it on the doorpost of your home. And then when God brings judgment on the evil of Egypt and all of sin, for those who are under the blood of the spotless lamb, the lamb without blemish, God is going to withhold His judgment on those who are under the blood. And if, we're, if we listen closely, we see the foreshadowing of Jesus, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That those who have repented of their sin and trusted in Him and have a relationship with Him, who are under the blood, God has poured out His wrath on His own Son, Jesus, on our behalf so that we could be set free. The rest of the story, the people of God walk across a sea on dry ground, Ultimately, God leading them to the promised land. And ever since that time, the Jews have been celebrating this specific feast at a specific time of the year. I share that because on the day we're opening our Bibles to in John 12, it is Passover and it is specifically the 10th day of the Jewish month, Nisan, which is the day where Jewish families would go and they would select the lamb that would be the sacrificial lamb to celebrate Passover. And so all over the, the known world at that time and all over Jewish families would go on this 10th day and they would select the lamb and they would present the lamb to their family as this their sacrificial lamb. And I believe it's so amazing how God in His perfect timing and in His sovereign design, 
He has chosen that on this 10th day of Nisan, this is the day where he is going to present himself to all of the Jews there gathered in Jerusalem as the true once and for all Passover lamb. And so here he is, and he is coming into town on Passover. John chapter 12, verse 12, the Bible says this, The next day, so this is after the meal with Mary, Martha, Lazarus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet Him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Like no doubt word was spreading. Jesus had risen somebody from the dead after four days. No doubt the countless miracles that he had performed. His teaching was unlike any other. The authority that he had and the fame of Jesus was growing, 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 becoming a fever pitch. Crowds from all over would gather just to get a glimpse, just to see, just to be around Jesus. And so the crowds have gathered and they're shouting, Hosanna! Which in, in, in your Bibles and, and in the text, you'll see there's quotations there because they're quoting an Old Testament psalm. Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. They're shouting Hosanna, which means save us, O Lord. And you may be and you may have an experience somewhere along your way where you are in the depths of despair and you have found yourself, you might not have said the word Hosanna, but you are shouting, Lord, save us. Lord, save me. Save us from this situation that we're going on. The crowds are there and they're shouting. They're shouting to the Lord. It's Hosanna. Like, but, but here's the problem. And we see this and we see it all through history and even in our day is that for many in the crowd, something drastic happens from the 10th day of Nisan to a few days later in the week when the same people who are shouting, save us, Lord, are the very same people that are saying, crucify him. Like, how do you go from from shouting Hosanna to shouting crucify? And what we see is that their plan for Jesus was different than the purposes of Jesus. Like their, their plan for Jesus didn't align with the way they think or what they thought Jesus should do. He's not doing what they think He should do. He's not going about life the way they think He should be going about life. In the Scriptures, they had long been looking for the Messiah. They are believing Jesus is that Messiah. They are sensing and feeling that the Messiah will be the one who finally flips the tyranny of Rome on its head and establishes God's people forever and ever in rule. And so they're like all amped up, like this is it. This is the time. Finally, 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 the Messiah has come to free us from Rome. But yet what we see is that yes, Christ did come and will one day rule as the conquering king over all peoples and over all rulers. But the Bible also teaches that he will first come as the suffering servant. And so the Bible says they were crying out. You ever cried for joy? They're crying out. They're crying out, Hosanna. But what we don't see in John's gospel, and this account was written in all four of the gospel writers, Luke actually tells us that not only were the people crying, but Jesus was crying. 
Jesus was crying. The Bible says in Luke 19, verse 41, it says, And when he, Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would not that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And for the days that will come upon you, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The crowds are shouting, crying out with joy, Hosanna, and Jesus, the language here is that He's actually weeping. And He's weeping because... In his heart, he knows where they're at. He knows what's going in their hearts. He knows they're looking for a political Messiah. But their view is too narrow. He's come to be the the giver of freedom from sin and death. Not just political authorities. And so he's crying out because he says there, "You, you didn't know the time. In other words, Jesus was expecting that his people would know that he's coming. That this is his time. That this is his day. And they root that back in Daniel chapter 9. And I wish I had the time to unpack this, but here's the summary. If you get a chance to read through Daniel chapter 9, an angel visits the Old Testament prophet Daniel and tells him, here's when you know to expect the Messiah. There will be a commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And when you do, there will be 483 years from that time to when the Messiah will come. And long story short, In King Artaxerxes, when the command was given to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, if you fast forward 173,880 days, which is 483 years, you will land on the exact day of the 10th day of Nisan when Jesus says, prepare the donkey. It's time to present myself to the world as the Messiah. Like Jesus is grieving because... How could they not see? How could they, how could they not know? And in these crowds, there's all kinds of different people. And there was a, an, a great book that I read like a decade ago. It's called Not a Fan. And it's by Kyle Alderman. And it's a great book, but I think it describes kind of what's going on in the crowds because he draws a distinction that there are fans of Jesus and there are followers of Jesus. And they can look Really, really similar, but there is a very major distinct difference in the fan and in the follower. He describes a fan as an enthusiastic admirer, close enough for the benefits of Jesus, but not so close to require sacrifice. Fans know facts, fans wear the gear, fans know the lingo. Maybe we saw a lot of them sprinkled on the TV screen yesterday, or if you found yourself in a stadium somewhere watching a game. But the fans never suit up and go in the game. Whereas Jesus is looking for followers. They're marked by commitment. They're marked by obedience. They're marked by a death to self. And it's been said that it is very easy to shout with the crowds. And excitement and energy about Jesus. But it's a whole other thing to stand at the cross and to die to self. Jesus is looking for followers, those who will follow Him no matter the cost. And so in verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey. He sat on it just as it is written. Verse 15, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king 
is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This is, this is profound because around 520 years before Christ, the incarnation of Christ, this prophecy was made. The people knew it. And here's Jesus fulfilling prophecy. He's presenting himself as the sacrificial lamb, the one who will take our place, who will take our punishment. And so here they are, and they are gathered, and Christ is coming as the king. Here's what's interesting. When a king was coming with a message of peace, he would ride an animal of peace. And if a king was bringing to bring rule and judgment, he would ride on a warrior horse. And if we look at Revelation 19, when Jesus comes again, guess what he's riding? He's riding a horse. And he's coming to bring judgment, and he's coming to set up his eternal kingdom, but in His first coming, what is He riding? He's riding an animal of peace. Why? Because He is coming as the King of peace. The only one who can give peace. And peace with God and forgiveness of sin. And to be made right with God. And so here He comes. Verse 16, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about Him and had been done to Him. These verses I love. Because if we were to take a poll this morning and we were to say, how many of you have found your, yourself in a place where you are absolutely not understanding why or how in the world something is going on? We just don't see it. We just don't understand. The disciples are there. I love that this text literally says the disciples didn't understand. <laughs> they're there, they're trying to piece it together, but they can't, but they will. When Christ is glorified, it's going to make sense. The light bulbs are going to come on. And I, I see that in our lives as believers as we trust God through the times where we don't understand. Ultimately, it will become so crystal clear as God is glorified in our lives how He truly works in and through all things. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of, the, out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. And so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The Jewish leaders, I just, I, I'm using my sanctified imagination, but I just picture this ringing of hands. I picture their secret meetings where they're pacing around and they're just trying to figure out what do we have to do? How quickly can we move to action to kill Lazarus and to kill Jesus? Jesus is a problem for them because he's threatening their power. He's threatening their authority. It's like they feel it slipping through their hands. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus is a threat to earthly kingdoms and self-kingdoms. Because when He is king and He rules, it changes everything about our lives. Like kingdom citizen living looks way different than earthly self-fulfilling living. Jesus says, be salt and life. Our lives create a thirst and a hunger for the Word. And so in verse 20... The Bible says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so these came to Philip, 
who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And here's what I, I see is that what is Jesus doing? He's drawing all nations to himself. He's drawing all people. We sang about it in the Revelation song just a few moments ago. If you read Revelation 7, 9, God gives us a glimpse through the disciple John of what the throne room is going to look like. And it's going to be people from every, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group. And so as Jesus is there, He is not just drawing the Jews, He's drawing the Greeks, He's drawing the Gentiles. And so He's, he's bringing them to Himself to understand and see who He is. But here's Philip. Philip's like, they want to know about Jesus. Have you ever like, had somebody come up to you and ask you questions about Jesus, but you don't feel equipped, and so you want to introduce them to somebody else who you feel can give them better answers? And so I don't know if that's what's happening, but Philip goes to get Andrew, and I think partly because Andrew, every time you see Andrew, he's bringing people to Jesus. Just one by one, he's bringing people to Jesus. And that's what God has invited us to do, is simply bring people to Him. We don't save people. We faithfully share in the power of the Spirit, and God does a mighty, mighty work. But here is the question that I want us to ask ourselves on October 30th, 2022. How will other people know? How will they know? How will they know? How will, how will the world know who Jesus is? How will they know how to have peace with God? How will they know how to be forgiven of their sin? How can they know how to experience life in a relationship through the, through the Prince of Peace. And, and Paul tells us over in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What encouragement in that passage. Verse 14, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And that word preaching, I don't want us to get this in our head. What it's talking about is proclaiming the truth of the gospel. It's what all of us as believers have been empowered to do. As early on as we receive Christ, Christ empowers us to be a witness to those and to proclaim His truth with others. And so in here, we see God's plan A is through you, through me, through His church. That's His plan A. I mentioned just that oftentimes when we think of missionaries, we often think of these folks who have picked up their lives and they've planted themselves in other parts of the world, which absolutely we call them missionaries. But what we can't miss is that God has the very same calling on our lives. The only thing that's different is, our pl is the place. God has called Levi to plant their family in South Asia. But guess what? As long as we're here, God has called us to plant our lives right here in North Mississippi. To, 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 to be a light for all people. And so that's why you can be a lawyer and be a missionary. That's why you can be an insurance agent and be a missionary. That's why you can be a teacher and be a missionary. That's why you can be a stay-at-home mom and be a missionary. That's why you can be a computer programmer and be a missionary. We're all called to live sin. Jesus said, 
As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Like God's plan A is through you, through us. And so, I love what, what, uh, what one, uh, one fellow said. He said, I will go where I can, send others to go where I can't, and pray diligently for the gospel to be fruitful in both places. In verse 23, the Bible says, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Any farmers in the house this morning? Any farmers? Or maybe you wouldn't call yourself a farmer. You, you have planted things in the ground. Anybody? All right, now whether it took off, we won't, we won't answer that question. But here's, I love, again, Jesus speaking in terms everybody understands. Agricultural terms. He says, take a grain of wheat. If we sat a grain of wheat on this table, if we come back in three months and that grain of wheat isn't, isn't like nothing's done with it, where's it going to be? It's just going to be right here on the table. Like nothing's going to happen. But... If a grain of wheat falls to the ground, and think about it, what happens? It's entombed. And after a matter of time, it will bring forth life. What Jesus is foreshadowing with them, He's foreshadowing His death, His burial, and His resurrection. He's going to be crucified. He will physically die. They will place His body in a tomb, but when his body is placed in the tomb, it's only a matter of time. We know three days before his death will bring forth life. It will bring forth a harvest. And God is helping Philip and he's helping Andrew understand. And I'm telling you this because the same principle is true in your life. He says in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Do you want significance? Do you want purpose? Do you want to have a meaningful life? The invitation is to die to yourself and to obey Christ. He says, this is the way. This is the way to life. There was a little saying, and I may get it mixed up, but it's like, finders, keepers, losers. But kingdom living is opposite. Like kingdom living is losers, finders. <laughs> like you lose your life, you find life. How do you do that? It starts simply by yielding your heart to the word that he's given us and obey in His power what He's shown us. And He says, this is the way to life. In verse 27, Now, He says, is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. In eternity past, this plan has been set in motion. Remember, God's plans don't, they're not like, uh-oh, oops, didn't see that happening. No, this has been the plan all along the fullness of time, the 10th day of Nisan, on this day, 483 years after the command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. Like, this is the day. This is the day I have set. And here He comes. And the Bible says that He was troubled. 
He was troubled. Why? Because Jesus is the God-man. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. He knows everything because He's God and He feels everything because He is man. He knows every lash that is coming. He knows every thorn that is going to crush through His head. He knows how every nail will feel as they pierce His hands and His feet. He knows the weight of the cross that He is going to bear for you and for me to take our place. He knows the emotional weight that a holy God would place every ounce of wrath against sin on His Son for us. And in a time that has happened never before, the perfect fellowship of the triune God, that fellowship will be broken just for a little while. Why? Because for God so loved the world. Because God so loved the world, He gave, He gave all. And He took our place so that we could be free. Not from the tyranny of Rome, not from the tyranny of Egypt, from the tyranny of sin and death. Then a voice came from heaven, verse 28, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. So God the Father is speaking from heaven. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to Him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus is not talking about lifting his name up in praise. He's not saying about lifting his name up in shouts of glory. He's saying when they literally lift my body, my physical body up on a cross. And he says, it's through the cross. I love this. Verse 31, now is the judgment of the world and now will the ruler of the world be cast out. If you go all the way back to Genesis, you will see that the serpent, God told us the serpent would attempt to, 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 to strike the heel. But God says, but the head of the serpent will be crushed. And so the enemy, no doubt, as he's seeing Christ on the cross, he is thinking victory. He is thinking it's done. But what happens on the third day? The serpent's head is crushed. The power of sin and darkness and death is over for those who place their faith and trust in Him. This is why it's so important. Because I know in this room there are struggles there are strongholds. There are temptations. They run deep. We know it. It's powerful. But as a believer in the Lord Jesus, the Bible teaches us that because of the cross, the enemy has been disarmed. He has no power over you. I think about those kind of like stick them up trench coat guys, like give me all your money. But what, but what like God has done through the cross is like, hey, take your, take your fake gun out because we know it's just your hand. Like you have no power. The Bible tells us over in 1 Peter, it says, Your enemy, be vigilant, be sober. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring anybody? lion, seeking whom he may devour. But guess what? Because of the cross, guess what? He can just gum you. He has no, he has no teeth. He has no fangs. Like He has no power. He wants you to think he has power. But at the cross, Jesus disarmed. He disarmed. And so... 
We on our own are no match, but through relationship with Jesus, the power of His Spirit, God gives the power for victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And the grave. And so, verse 34, So the crowd answered Him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? The Son of Man is a name for the Messiah. Everybody knows it. Especially all the Jews. Jesus is the Son of Man. It's one of the favorite names for Himself. And so what happens is, they're like, how is this going to work? You just told me, you're telling me you're going to be crucified. They, they get what that means. You're going to be lifted up. Like, how in the world, isn't the Son of Man supposed to rule forever and all that? Like, how does that work? But here's what happens, and it can happen today, is if you just kind of pick and choose the verses that you like and sound really good, you can kind of piece together a, a, a scripture that like just completely 100% makes sense to you and, and works for you. But they got the conquering king part right, but they missed Isaiah 53. They missed the part that says before he will be the conquering king, he will first be the suffering servant. So they're piecing it together. But yet this is why Christ has come. Verse 35, I'm wrapping up here. So Jesus said to him, he said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. This is why, and it's a, it's a Christian word, but we talk about lostness. Those apart from a relationship with Christ, why that word? Because they're wandering in darkness. It says, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from him, from them. Jesus, all along the way, all along the way to the crowds, those whose hearts are far from him, those whose hearts are near him, those who are all caught up in all the religious stuff. Like, what is Jesus constantly doing? He's constantly offering this invitation to peace with God, to forgiveness and grace and mercy. He's always offering it. And, and, and we're seeing the language. It's like somebody pleading with you. Pleading with you. While the light is here, I'm here. I'm here for you. As you, as long as the light is with you, place your faith, place your trust in me. I'm the only worthy king. I'm the only one. Every other road is a dead end road. There's no relationship. There's no drug. There's nothing that can satisfy your soul. You will always be wandering around until you die to yourself and you place your faith and trust in me and have life and have life to the full. And all through the while, Jesus, Jesus came to die. That's His whole purpose. Why do we celebrate the, the cradle at Christmas? It's because of the cross in a few decades from that moment. He came to die and He came to give life. And that invitation is here. And so here is a few things I would just encourage us as we see this word in place. And one is this, He is the only worthy King. If we could take an x-ray of all of our hearts, if we took an x-ray of your heart, I want you to imagine there's a little throne room. 
All right, so there's a little throne, a little throne that's in your heart. The heart is the, it's the control center of your life. As your heart goes, guess what? There your life goes. And so it could be that if you were to take an x-ray of the, the throne room of your heart, you don't have to answer out loud. The question I want us all to answer is this, who is sitting on that throne? Because there is only one who is worthy of that throne and his name is Jesus but if we're honest there are moments in the struggle where our self is sitting on that throne there are times when our child may be sitting on that throne there are things when a hobby may be sitting on that throne there are things when a degree might be sitting on that throne there are things when our work might be sitting on our throne like there's all these different things that that attempt to have that most prized real estate but yet here is the, the victory statement is that Christ has come to give us life and his rightful place is on the throne of our hearts. And so if there are areas of our life that we know he is calling for us to release, but we keep holding on to it, the invitation is to trust him because he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of everything. And it could be that maybe you're like the disciples and what you're going through right now, you're like, I don't understand. I do not understand how this could happen. I don't understand why this is happening. You're in good company because Philip and Andrew are right there with you, but it's gonna make sense. But trust him. Where is Jesus? He's right there with them, his presence and his word, and he's with them all along the way. That He's worthy. His purposes are different than maybe our plans sometimes. And so may our hearts be yielded to trust His purposes. And then we just cannot miss the invitation that all along Jesus is saying, while there's still light. And you know what? Our lives are representative of daylight. And there is a time the day begins and there's a time the day ends. And as long as there is daylight, Jesus is inviting all nations to himself for life and for forgiveness and for peace. And so if that's you, I pray today would be the day of salvation. No more games, just trusting him completely because he's the only true king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for... Your amazing, unfailing, unconditional love. That's a love that is unique and perfect. But you are a perfect God. You're the only true God, the only true King, worthy of it all, worthy of our hearts, worthy of our minds, worthy of our lives. God, you're worth it. You're worth it. And I pray, God, we would be a people surrendered and yielded to your purposes for our lives that our identity isn't caught up in what we do or where we live our identity is in who you say we are forgiven child of God rescued for a purpose God I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room listening in online who are trying to make sense of something that makes absolutely no sense. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, to be present, who is present with us. 
Grant a peace that passes all understanding, a comfort, God. Your word tells us your spirit is the helper. Help those in their hour of need. Thank you that you never leave us. Thank you that you never forsake us. Thank you that you're with us always. And God, may we rest in your purposes. Father, I pray for anyone here who does not have a relationship with you. That God, while the light is here, while there's still light, God, that today, even the heart that may seem far, there is no distance that outpaces your grace or outreaches your grace. God, I pray you would bring conviction. And God, that whomever needs to place their trust in you will repent of their sin and trust in you as Lord of all. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me. Uh, One song we're going to sing together. I pray that we would just be respond how the Lord would lead us. We'll have pastors who would love to pray over you and to just give this time to the Lord as we reflect on what He has spoken to our hearts today.